Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes, especially in 2020. But we are away from 2020. We are well into uh, 2021, or actually two days as I'm doing this podcast. It is the 2nd of January. Uh, But anyway, glad to have you with me and listening to this podcast. And I hope uh, whether you're in ministry or love the church, love your pastor, that you're starting out this year being reminded that uh, your pastor, your church leaders are called and appointed and passionate about the gospel, about representing Jesus. And uh, that's why we do this podcast. Uh, Again, bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And there's nothing like the gospel that gives us that perspective. Uh, My name is Mitch Schultz, and I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, Let me give you a quick setup for this podcast. I'm actually interviewing Dr. Dave Harvey, uh, an author of a a couple well-known books, one that he recently published that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, But I think it was about a year ago, someone gave me his book, When Sinners Say I Do, uh, which was a wonderful book to help um, couples that are engaged, planning on getting married, and even couples who are well into uh, years of marriage, and they just need to be reminded again of what marriage is about, what the gospel is about, how the gospel addresses sin in our lives and points us to the Savior. Um, I read the book. It was, it was amazingly encouraging for me personally in my marriage and a great resource as I counsel uh, people in ministry and and uh, quite often also people outside of ministry. I I do uh, marriage family counseling some within our community as well. Uh, but it was a, a really helpful book, and he uh, I connected with him, uh, which was awesome. And when we connected, he had shared with me that he had just come out with a new book, a devotional called uh, I Still Do, which is a a compendium uh, for with the original book, but also a devotional kind of taken the the same theme of understanding the gospel and our sinful default within marriage and how uh, as we look to the Savior to help us, it, uh, it just has profound uh, impact on, on health in our marriage. And uh, so he said yes, and we arranged it and uh, just had a, a great conversation together. Uh, but Dr. Dave Harvey just very quickly serves as president of the Great Commission Collective, a church planting ministry in the U.S., Canada, and abroad. In 33 years of ministry, he was president of Sojourn Network, which oversees church planting, church care, and international outreach for Sovereign Grace churches. Uh, He was a lead pastor for 19 years and has pastored a total of 33 years. I think that's exactly how many years that I pastored as well. Uh, More importantly, he's been married for 37 years, and Dave and his wife Kim have four kids and four grandkids and they live in Southwest Florida. Uh, So again, what we are mainly focusing on is the topic of when sinners say I do with special focus on this devotional. And I would encourage you to to look at our website, look at the links that are available there, purchase those two books, listen to this podcast. And can I encourage you too to share this with your elders, share this with your pastor, uh, share this with people that you know who love the church, who are committed to love your pastor, because I know uh, it'll be an encouragement to them. So let's go ahead and jump into that interview right now. All right, I have the, uh, the privilege to meet a new friend here. I'm looking at the, across my, on my screen here to uh, Dave Harvey. Uh, Dave, so good to see you, and thank you so much for being part of the Before You Quit podcast today. 
It's good to meet you, Mitch. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, my family is going to probably wonder. We have a Dave Harvey in our family, so I need to make sure I distinguish you from a family member. We have quite a large extended family, so I just wanted to put that caveat out there that we're talking well, one, to. One point of irony in, in my life over the last three or four years is I guess there's a, a winery that's opened up uh, called Dave Harvey. And so <laughs> about five or six times a year, I'll get pictures of the bottle that somebody <laughs> will send and say, hey, I didn't know you were in the wine business. Oh, that's great. Well, that should be good for your brand as, a, as an author. <laughs> Hasn't helped yet. Together. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, listen, uh, tell, tell us just briefly about yourself. And one of the questions I, I love to ask people, particularly authors, is uh, what is your greatest burden and passion uh, that leads you, that has led you to do what you're doing now? I know that's kind of wide open, uh, but we're eventually going to walk into here a conversation about a book that you've written. Sure. Uh, so born and raised in Pittsburgh, and I was converted in college in the 70s, late 70s, where I also met Kim, my wife, and we were married back in 1982. So just this past year, we celebrated, this year, we celebrated our 38th anniversary. Wonderful. It's a strange anniversary. Mm. It's kind of tucked in the middle there. So yeah. that to be the math to get there. Um, I served as a pastor in the same church in Philadelphia, um, where we were talking earlier. That's mm -hmm. where I also studied at Westminster Theological Seminary and served at that church for about 28 years. And during that time, had a had a burning desire to plant churches, and uh, to be a church planting church. In fact, I did my doctoral work on identifying and training church planters, mm -hmm. um, mm. and uh, began planting churches through that work. That church in the tri-state area around Philadelphia uh, served as for a while as the church planting director for Sovereign Grace Ministries, and then uh, as the president of, of Sojourn Network, which, which is a church planting ministry that began in Louisville and plants primarily in the United States. And uh, now I lead a ministry called Great Commission Collective, which is a global church planting ministry, uh, just preaching the gospel and planting churches in 22 different countries. Um, just trying to think of the things that, that would be real, uh, way more important than all that. Um, four kids, and uh, absolutely years. most important. I yeah. agree. <laughs> so, and I, I, I mean, I think you mentioned, but I write a, a, a bit. I, I have a, a website at mm -hmm. rev.harvey.com and, uh, uh, and, and then occasionally write a book. Uh, yeah. So, my, uh, how I found out about you was through a book. Uh, I think someone referred a book to me uh, that's, uh, that was titled, is titled, When Sinners Say I Do. You wrote that book. It, uh, it has turned into a ministry of sorts uh, and uh, more recently led to a devotional entitled I Still Do. And that's really what we want to talk about today. Uh, not, not just about the book, but the, you know, the burden behind writing the book. Uh, so yeah, let me, let me ask you that. Why did you write that book and what have you, I mean, it's come out just recently, I think in October, right? So uh, yeah, what's yeah. the burden that led to that, and what's been the response? So, uh, be beginning with When Sinners Say I Do, which was written about 11 or 12 years ago, uh, you know, that was an attempt to reestablish the uh, significance of sin to the problem of marriage. Hmm. 
Mm. And, uh, and, and then more importantly, to celebrate the power of the gospel to yes. overcome the problem of sin. Yeah. And uh, there's, a, there's a quote that I started at. One of my favorite Puritan authors is Thomas Watson. He once said, till, till sin be bitter, Christ yeah. will not be sweet. Yeah, I love that. And love that phrase. Mm. It's, it's, it's so good. I mean, there's so much yeah. theology that's kind of packed in the quote. And so um, I, I, I wanted to arm couples with an awareness of how the Bible speaks about the, the sin's impact on the rhythms of life and marriage, but how the gospel can make a dramatic difference. Mm-hmm. So that was the first book. And then I wrote a sequel, which was released earlier this year called I Still Do. Mm-hmm. So the devotional is actually the third, third release in a sequel of a sequel. The first was a, you know, the trade book, the main book, Mm -hmm. and then a study guide was released. And then the devotional was just released in time for Christmas. And uh, the reason I wrote, I still do is because uh, as the sequel is because I, I discovered that when sinners say I do is typically used in one of three ways. It was being used for premarital, for um, newlyweds or for crisis intervention Mm -hmm. purposes. Mm -hmm. But I, I began to see the need for a kind of uh, companion volume, you know, something that would help people think through how to navigate marriage beyond those early years. And, uh, and so I wanted to get something, I wanted to write something that discovered and talked about the defining moments of marriages that last. And that was the theme of the main book. And then the devotionals kind of out of that. And then one other thing, let me mention, Mitch, is that it, the, the reason, f- another reason for the sequel is because the opening chapter in the sequel starts with the first defining moment. And the first defining moment is when we discover that brokenness is broader than sin. Yes. So, so I, I established like the doctrine of sin in when sinners say I do, but I didn't want sin to be the only thing left ringing in the minds of married people. I, and I wanted to under, help them to understand the, the true significance of fallenness, which is broader than just, just sin. Yeah, and, and uh, I was reminded in reading the the first book, When Sinners Say I Do, and then my wife and I are, are, go, are just recently finishing up the devotional, which I think is powerful. Uh, but the, uh, I, 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 I preach a lot to myself and to others, whether I'm counseling or talking in a, in a church, how we need the gospel daily, that this is not just what saves us, it's what maintains us, it's what grows us, and, and just this notion that... Uh, that we're sinners who need a savior, uh, and and uh, the explanation for the problems we see in marriages are because we continue to sin. And and if we become aware of that, then it draws us to a savior. If we forget that, I, uh, you know, I I was counseling a couple um, and used your book, and it it opened their eyes to to themselves, to mm-hmm. not just the other person and what they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing, but just realizing I, I'm a problem here. <laughs> and so we talked about the, the, the nature of sin that impacts marriages. But as you said, it's an opportunity to talk about uh, the Savior who's there to provide forgiveness, but also healing. And, uh, and I, I, I think the devotional is, is the healing part. It's, uh, it's not, not just for premarriage. It's not just for crisis. There's a, uh, a strengthening element that uh, it's there to provide resilience and perspective in uh, 
in, uh, in, in marriages. Um, and so, uh, again, I recommended this to a couple that I was counseling. In fact, I still am. And I thought, I, my wife and I need to go through it. If I'm going to recommend it to someone, I need to go through it. So we, uh, our pattern is we get up in the morning and uh, I'll bring the coffee. For some reason, my wife always needs two ice cubes in her coffee cup, which uh, never makes sense to me. Uh, but that's what we do. And then we go to the living room. We'll have devotions uh, individually. And the pattern we've added recently has been within a half hour or so. I'll say, hey, let, uh, you want me to go ahead and read the devotional for today? And uh, that's when I do. And it's, it's wonderful. And thank you for, for writing that. Uh, I'm, I'm buying it as a Christmas gift for, uh, for my married daughter. I, I, she won't hear this until after Christmas, so she won't know that I'm doing that. Um, but let, let me, out of that point that I just made, you know, just this image of my wife and I having uh, time with the Lord individually, which has always been important to us, but also connecting together around the scripture, around the gospel. Uh, love your thoughts on why married couples struggle uh, reading the Bible together, connecting together on this on this level. Um, are you hearing from people yet that this is helping in that uh that dilemma? Love your thoughts on that. I think my answer may shade a little differently now that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in general, to answer your question more generally, I would say we have to begin remembering that, that there is an enemy, there is the flesh, and there is the world. And, and, and these forces are arrayed against us Mm-hmm. And they they launch the their fiercest counter assault when we attempt to go Godward in any way, particularly mm. as it relates to the Word of God, studying the Word of God, praying to God. Um, you know, I think about I think about the passage in, in Romans seven. So I find this law at work mm-hmm. when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. So it's, it's, it's that point of really wanting to do good, which I, I mean, the, the greatest way to do good is moving toward God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one way to think about that is anytime I seek to move toward God, evil's going to be there to try to trip me up and to yeah. try to obscure it or, or something like that. So um, I, I think those, those issues are, are always in play for couples and, uh, you know, if, if we're talking about the devotional in particular, what, what I was hoping was uh, to, to kind of serve a series of, of meals that would nourish couples over, uh, you know, a month-long period. Meals, meals are funny. You know, some, some meals are really good. Mm-hmm. Some are immediately forgettable. And but but they're all necessary yeah. to keep us moving forward and to strengthen us and to nourish us and to and to put vitamins in us. And so the design of the devotional uh, was to just get get give something to couples that would get them in a rhythm over a month of of reading doctrine and stories and applications that apply specifically to the marriage. Yeah, and, I, and I'm hoping from this that it's not just the couple who's been doing this looking for another resource, but that this would get the couple who's been married 15, 20, whatever years, who have never had a rhythm 
of having conversations around the gospel, around the scripture, because I think that's common. I mean, having pastored for 30 some years, uh, that was a, a common struggle. People would share that uh, they they are not comfortable praying together. And my wife and I have found that difficult. You know, it's it's uh, I don't think it's uncommon uh, through, you know, we do well individually being around the word, but there's something about being connected together. And uh, so I have to admit, I mean, even though we're across the room and she's having her cold coffee, I'm having my hot coffee. Uh, you know, we're, we sometimes will interact about what we're reading. But this, is, this book, this, the devotional, has helped us to be more intentional about And I think it's going to help us to, uh, to build off that and, and to do some other things together. I think it really uh, helps to bring, to bring a third voice into, mm, mm. You know, into that dynamic of, of something that can, uh, spark questions or even offer questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Kim and I have the same experience when we're reading something and there's that, there's that additional companion there who's kind of advising us and prompting us. Mm-hmm. I think that can be a helpful, a helpful tool. Well, speak, speak to a couple right now who, you know, they're believers, they love the Lord. Uh, but they don't engage in spiritual conversation much. What, what would you, what, what, this is putting a lot of pressure on you. What one thing could you say to them to uh, spark some interest to start somewhere? I mean, uh, you know, obviously, yeah, read the book, but that's, yeah. there's got to be some breaking of some barrier prior to that. Because it is, it is hard for some people who are, maybe it's the way they're raised, they weren't accustomed to in, being in a home where, there was free conversation about the gospel. They get married and then there's that expectation to where do you start? Yeah. Well, I would say first to them that I can, I can understand, I can identify. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that in most marriages, if people are honest, they can point back to a time or maybe they're living in a time where they feel very awkward crossing that threshold together Mm -hmm of where they're actually talking about um, how they feel and then talking about the things of God. Those are, mm. those are, you know, two big thresholds. Uh, and on the things of God side, it's, it's, it's that there's an absence of vocabulary. There's an awkwardness because it moves us into a subjective. It feels like it moves us into a subjective realm. And I, I can relate to all of that because I had to overcome those things mm. as well. And, and still, Kim and I try to play, pray at night before we go to bed, and I can still feel a tinge of awkwardness 38 yeah. years later, you know, that's there. So I get, I, that's the first thing I would want to say to them is, is I, I can relate. Yeah, that's um, helpful. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is, is start, start small. You know, I, God's, not, God's not interested in having you sit down and have long, extensive discourses uh, with one another at this stage. I think that these are the kinds of things where God delights in our our baby steps mm-hmm. and he pours out grace as we take them. And so, you know, praying together because it's not directed at one another, but directed at God uh, can be a really good, simple step to take. Um, pick one time during the day, um, like you could do it before bed, or you could do it before a, a, a meal. You can, you could just do it when you're sitting there. But, but take one or two things that are on your heart, or one or two things you're thankful for, and just pray them out to God in front of each other, and take that step. Because part of what 
what needs to be overcome is actually overcome in the doing. Yes. So as you do that, you'll find grace to do it more. And you'll see that some of your fears and some of your concerns and some of the threats that that seem there are actually never materialized. Yeah, yeah, and and there's that sense of the wow, that felt good. That that was that that really was good to do that together. Yeah. And I I talk as I'm I'm sure you do uh, to families who have a deep burden for particularly families our age who have children, uh, grown adult children who are perhaps not walking with the Lord. And there's a burden there. There's an ache. There's a hurt. Uh, and uh, and I really believe discussing that together as a couple and then uh, even if it's briefly commit them to the Lord uh, can be a, a reassurance that God in his sovereignty will care for uh, for your children uh, that in that category in particular because mm-hmm. there's there are so many fears and so many lies that exist in the minds of parents with with children at any age who aren't walking with Christ particularly mm-hmm. adult children who are formed and forming in different directions than the parents prefer mm. that they go. That's, that is such a, a, a trap yeah. uh, in the mind. And so the more that we're able to talk about it and to bring surface to those, to surface those fears and surface those lies that, that are being spoken to or surface the reality of our pain. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of the things about you read through the Psalms and you realize, my goodness, these guys are like naked in some of the ways they actually share their heart before mm-hmm. God, the, the pain that they express. And that's good and true and very authentic. And God is holding that out for us and actually in the Psalms, giving us language for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. Well, I want to get into a little bit of the content of the book, but I just wanted to make a statement first and then ask you a question related to it. It, Almost every entry, and they're they're rather brief, uh, you you end with an emphasis on the gospel. Uh, Why? Well, whether it's the the world, the flesh, the enemy, um, whether it's family of origin, whether it's how we have suffered or how we have sinned, the answer to all of those problems lay in the hope of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so the gospel announces Jesus's life, birth, birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension. Um, he's seated at the right hand of the Father now, which, which isn't just like a theological reality. It brings stuff into real life. It brings forgiveness into my life. It brings power and perspective. It brings the prayers of Christ, the intercession of Christ into our lives, the things that ultimately transform us. Um, and so it, it, it brings us transformation here and now, but it also reminds us that that the worst that we're experiencing in life is not the ultimate reality that that's going to define us. It's not where we're ultimately going to be living. It the, one that, of the things yeah. the gospel does is it announces a kingdom yeah. that we are in, but also a kingdom that we're being prepared. Yeah, it's a for. it's a relief. It keeps us from being stuck in in our dilemmas, in our in our problems, and it gives us hope. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I, I love that. Thank you for that. Um, so the the booklet is the, the devotional is built around nine defining moments. Uh, what what is a defining moment? I think you alluded to, to this earlier. Why are they important? And, and the question I have specifically is which one was the most exciting for you to write about? Most meaningful for you to write about? 
Yeah. So a defining moment is a, um, a life defining experience or event or a decision that determines our direction in marriage. So it's, it's something that determines a direction in marriage. And uh, in the book, it's, it's presented as if it has five different components. It, it presents a decision for truth. It requires a cost. It offers an opportunity. It grows the soul and sets a course. And so the book is, is built around, uh, I think it's, it's 9, 10, or 11 defining moments, like the one we were just talking about, when you discover brokenness is broader than sin, and the moment of weakness, um, uh, when your spouse suffers, the moment you get mercy, when, when you discover sex changes with age, um, when dreams disappoint, when the kids leave. Uh, so, so try, it, it's really practical, but the reality is those things are become defining moments in the life of a couple. How they respond to them tends to determine the trajectory of where they go from there in their marriage. And, uh, and so the way the book is, is designed is that each chapter ends with an exercise where these very practical questions are asked around these different components mm-hmm. so that it'll kickstart some discussion. Um, as far as like which one was was more important, I, I, I think that, that from a big picture perspective, the one that we were talking about uh, of brokenness being bigger than sin was really important. But I, I think the idea of um, of when when closure is is overrated, um, when you learn closure is overrated, you know we 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 live life expecting that God is creating a story that always has a good ending, um, and and it does have a good ending from an eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. Sure. But we we often think we often kind of predetermine what God is doing, and we we kind of build our hopes and our emotions around that ending, and the ending typically involves some kind of beautiful story of closure, yeah. Yeah. of where this is all going to be wrapped up nice and tidy with a bow on it. But in reality, God God actually allows things to be open-ended and it's in the open-endedness that we encounter him in some pretty dramatic ways. And it's in the open-endedness of life that we learn desperation and dependence upon him. And so closure has come in two places. Closure has come in the cross in the past and enclosures coming in the future in heaven, but we live in this great open-ended space right now between the two and we meet God in some pretty dramatic ways. So when you change that paradigm and you recognize, okay, we're in a defining moment where not, where, where closure does not seem to be happening, but that doesn't mean anything except that God has us here and he wants to do something good. Mm-hmm. And that can really do a great, that can really do some wonderful things for your marriage. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of Colossians 3 about setting our hearts and minds on things above, not on earthly things. Yes. That as we, uh, you know, if all we see is the, the event, um, uh, we, it can be overwhelming. So, yeah, I mean, you're, even, even as you're relating all this, uh, there's, there's just good theology. And I, I would, again, stress that from what I've seen in the, in the devotional 
it's it's extremely practical, deep but very practical, and that's well, even coming out in your 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 relating it. Let me mention one other thing, Mitch, because one of the things that blew my mind just in studying scripture mm-hmm. was was coming across Second Timothy. So the last epistle that that Paul ever wrote. And some of the last words that Paul ever wrote are stunning statements about the relational landscape that he lived in. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he, all of Asia has left me. It's where he starts mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. chapter one, but Phygelus and Hermogenes and Hymenaeus and Philetus. And, and uh, remember Alexander the Demer, uh, the, the coppersmith, he did me great harm and Demas. And, mm-hmm. and, and then, and then almost one of the last phrases that he used, these are among the last words in chapter four, he says at my last defense, you know, no one stood by me, all deserted me, but the Lord was by my side. Wow, so you think wow. about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, here's the final words of the Paul, the apostle himself. Mm-hmm. And yet there was no closure for him. Mm-hmm. He had these relationships that were ugly and messy and open-ended. And he had to find a way for God to be, you know, real in that. And 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 the Lord stood at his side, even though he was. He felt deserted. And so if that's Paul's experience, and that was Christ's experience, I don't think we're going to have a different experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's powerful. Thank, thank you for that. That's a, a great reminder. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's refreshing to you know, draw from other people's you know, go-to in, uh, when they're lonely, when they've been rejected and abandoned, because uh, we all have, have lived with... Uh, with pieces of that in, in our own lives uh, for the, the, the section for me that resonated the most uh, and those who listen to this podcast are, are well familiar with our story because we've talked about it. Uh, the chapter on when your spouse suffers, my, my wife, when we were in Europe had uh, uh, brain cancer and it was undetected. So she had to have emergency surgery. And as a result of that uh, lost, uh, you know, it impacted her, her speech center. So she's, uh, been on an amazing 20-year recovery of uh, everything related to uh, her communication. Uh, and then two months after she had uh, that, we moved here to where we live now. My oldest son was diagnosed with brain cancer, and he did not survive it. He was almost 13 when when he passed away. Uh, so as my, my wife and I are reading this uh, uh, this section about when your spouse suffers, we, um, if I recall, allowed it to just, you know, allowed some quiet just to reflect on that. And, and it's given us opportunity to, to, you know, dialogue together about what this has been mm-hmm. like, you know, 20 years of, of uh, having, uh, you know, this kind of impact on, on a marriage. So I, ju- I just want to say that that was, thank you for broaching that subject. Um, and, and you write this, and then I'll have you just reflect on it in, in that chapter, uh, the suffering is a window into the soul. Listening well, uh, so I'm picturing myself doing this with my wife. Listening well helps you peer through the soul to discover where pain is felt and faith is under attack. Um, powerful, just just amazing. Uh, just reflect a little bit more on that. Well, I, I mean, the reason I'm pausing is because I'm 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 still actually stuck back in the story you were telling and, and realizing the impact that, you know, your wife's illness and your son's passing has, has, has had on you. Uh, and I'm just so sorry to hear that. And uh, I, I know you. that you, you stand as one who God has, you know, God has used those experiences 
but we can't we can't deny the pain, can we? Mm, mm-hmm. And the suffering that comes with it. So I I am affected by that. Um, and and it it illustrates the point that you know you you stay married long enough, and, and one of you are going to suffer. Yeah, yeah. You stay married long enough, and one of you are going to die first. And uh, how how we respond when our spouse suffers says a lot about our true vision for marriage. Uh, yes. Was, yes. Was, was the vision, you know, kind of sanitized or, or, or uh, enculturated by, by the world uh, or, or, or kind of was the field of vision narrowed by just the good times that we have that kind of props, props us up. But when health begins to deteriorate, the marriage becomes a liability, and so the marriage grows weaker. Um, so well, I think it's, dis- it's disorienting. You never expected that, you know. And um, and how do you adjust, how do you prepare for the inevitability that your marriage will be disoriented? And then when it does happen, how do you adapt? I, those are the two things that I, you know, twenty years into this, I've been reflecting a lot more deeply. Because uh, as a pastor, I give uh, my wife and I have suddenly realize we need to be interacting more with our kids about what has happened. Yes. And maybe even with some other people. And I, a group of pastors I meet with the other day for the first time I shared with them what this has been like, uh, for my marriage. And, uh, and these guys were in a coffee shop and they're fighting tears. And, mm. you know, one guy joked, he had to go to the restroom anyway, but later he says, yeah, I was just trying to get away from the, uh, the emotion of this. <laughs> Mm. But, but he really wasn't. I mean, it's, uh, uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, again, pre- how do you prepare for it? Uh, I don't know how you can, because you have to almost experience suffering to, to know what it's like. It's not something you, you can, uh, you know, just theologically put into, into your mind so that when it happens, you know, Oh, good thing I had that in place. Uh, but when it does happen, it's the adapting to it. Uh, it's, yeah. It's yeah. adjusting. It's it's having gospel perspective, and uh, and I love what you're saying about there's not going to be closure. You might have to live with this, and they so the window into the soul piece here for particularly with my wife has been really helpful because I, I I need to know what it's like for her to be living with this. I need to understand it better. I need to love that better. I I, I don't think premarital covers suffering typically not well, and and yet when you think about it. Th- that is the destiny of every marriage that remains together. And so, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it happens sooner, wow. sometimes it happens yeah. later. So, you know, something that is so inevitable, you would think we would do, I, you think I would do a better job of, yeah. of preparing children, preparing mm-hmm. pre, uh, people that are going to be married, but it just doesn't work that way. Well, I think uh, the best thing you know, Peter says, just don't be surprised. <laughs> yeah. That's the preparation. Just, yeah. You know, just don't be surprised. Don't be thrown off. Don't be, don't be deflected. Don't be disoriented. It's going to come. I think that that one of the things that uh, it's good to to know uh, if your spouse is suffering is that the nature of suffering is typically to to bend us inward. Mm. Um, to, 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 because you begin to focus on the suffering. This is a very human thing. I'm not saying it's a right thing. I'm saying it's a very human thing. And, uh, you know, we, we bend inward, which means we're not looking up and we're not looking out. We're, we're looking in. 
Um, and we, we tend to get captivated by our own suffering. And so one of the ways that spouses serve each other is to recognize that, you know, that curving in, the curving in nature of suffering. It's not mm. just in the curves of sin, but it's suffering as well. And to coax each other, yeah. you know, to see God yeah. and to see outward. Like I was talking to a guy who um, who lived in Canada. His His wife had had a chronic kidney disease and and they lived in Canada they were traveling through the United States on an inbound flight into Denver she collapses on the flight mm. uh, she she couldn't be moved uh, they they land uh, she couldn't fly they couldn't return back to Canada they needed immediate med- medical help so they're stuck in Denver and uh, and they're like this. This can't be happening. I mean, we live in Canada. We have no medical insurance in the United States. We've got a mortgage in Canada, but she's not able to fly or be moved at all. So, so for the next year and year and a half, they're stuck in Denver. They wow. find a place to stay. But this is where this is where the the curving inward to, to moving outward. So. So people find out he's a pastor. They begin to invite him to do a Bible study. Mm. Um, his wife is saying, no, do it. You know, I, I don't want this to just be about me. Um, and, and so ultimately the Bible study grows and he decides to plant a church mm. uh, from this Bible study. So you, so you got this, this mind-boggling thing happen, happening where they're planting a church in their layover city, you know, basically. And that's uh, a long layover, by the way. It is, it is, yeah. <laughs> it, it was over a year, yeah. And wow. so, he plants the church, gets it started. They install a, a, a lead pastor, and by that time, she's healthy enough to be able to move on. So, they fly out, and there's a church left there, all because she was willing to move from looking in to looking at and see that there was a bigger purpose at work. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of Paul or Philippians, he says, because of my chains. Uh, the gospel has been made yes. known through the uh, uh, through the palace. You know, had had that's he not, great, yeah, great passage. Yeah, well, that's that's yeah, that's moving. And thank you for an illustration of because uh, I think that helps people to uh, you know maybe look in their own lives, cl- people close to them for stories where they've seen this. I, I think we need to be telling the stories of people. And and I uh, my tendency has been to not talk much about our experience, but when I have recently. Uh, it's amazing how people are are encouraged themselves by it because, uh, you know, I, I often remind people pain's relative, not that our relatives are the pain, but it's relative. So even the smallest, uh, you know, crucible that someone's, it, to them, it's, it, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. And uh, so my, my story, which might seem more dramatic and profound, will be an encouragement to someone who, I mean, again, that's the gospel, isn't it? Christ suffered unto death, even death on the cross. I can bring that into every difficulty and uh, and challenge that I, that I go through. So, yeah, well, good stuff. Um, I knew we would talk a lot about these things, and I <laughs> I want to keep I want to keep talking, but I've got so, so many other things, a couple other things to to mention here. Sure. Uh, you you have a, a section uh, titled in the devotional when when your marriage needs church, um, and you wrote this probably before COVID. Uh, it came out during COVID. Uh, COVID's leading to a lot of um, you know drop in church attendance, and we wonder you know statistics are out Barna that how many are going to be coming back to church. 
Uh, what is your burden on the impact uh, on marriage uh, when there is not this community, this sense of community around? And what would you urge couples uh, in regard to, you know, getting back into community or finding community? Yeah. Maybe they're in places like California or New York where, you know, it's not allowed, but it's still so important because this yeah. burdens me. Sure. Yeah, I think in the Western world, um, the culture was already moving us toward greater isolation uh, pre-COVID. Interesting. Yeah. So social mm. media, Netflix, and 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 for Christians, f- family um, were community displacers. Mm. Now, you know, I believe in the family, and we believe in the family. But uh, let me let me un- just unpack that a little bit. Because in the middle of all that, then comes COVID, which it, it, it takes an ecosystem that's already fragile and and polarizes it all the more with wow. the you know the the election, the civil unrest uh, drives people away from community, understandably because uh-huh. of the pandemic, but uh, into themselves. And so this beautiful thing that Scripture holds out. Um, community is now something that's, in, in one sense, it's physically dangerous, and uh, and and even more emotionally perplexing. F- community always has an emotionally perplexing component to it, but now with the election and the civil unrest, it's it's really perplexing. And so marriages, I think, have experienced some of their greatest stresses and. St- in our lifetime, perhaps in the last hundred years, going back to maybe the Second World War, um, at the very time where community is most necessary. Yeah, yeah. So it's a real yeah. serious wow. issue that we're encountering wow. right now. Mm. And I, I think that we have to be self-aware that our vision for community is inadvertently under attack. Um, and whether that's the, the, the enemy or, or whatever, or just the world, it's, it's under attack. And mm. so, uh, I, and I don't mean that the pandemic is attacking it. What I'm saying is that, that what's up for grabs is a vision for community mm-hmm. because there's so many good reasons not to. Yeah. And so we have to treasure that. We have to be, make sure that we are remaining informed from scripture as to why community is important. One of the things Kim and I did was we, we we stayed we stayed in our small group that was meeting online, um, and man, the last thing in the world we wanted to do was was get on another Zoom call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we just tried to stick with it because we felt the maintaining the rhythm and maintaining the habit of 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 community, even of confessing some of the things we were feeling about it. You know, was really going to be of help in. Uh, in, in keeping the thing, keeping our heart linked to the importance of community. Um, so I made the comment about the kids in community. Um, let me just, let me just finish with that. I don't think that connecting with our kids is the same thing as living in Christian community. Mm-hmm. I think both of them are, are, are utterly essential to life, but a lot of Christians confuse them. And, and make them the same thing, um, you know, because I don't think connecting with our kids necessarily replaces the gifts that come with community, the encouragement, 
the swapping of God's word, the honest engagement, the the honest feedback. You know, your kids might correct you, Mm -hmm. but probably not. There's probably family dynamics at work there. Uh, There are things that that really only community can reproduce. So I'm all for, I want to spend as much time as I can with our family, but I also want to move forward into life, ensuring that that my commitment to family doesn't undermine the value of community. Yeah. 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 So a, a, a marriage maybe where they, if they reflect on it, um, that they've been out of community, uh, look for some community to get back into. So even if church might not be possible now, look for something. Yeah. Uh, or, or initiate something, you yeah, know, yeah. reach out to some friends and ask them how you can pray for them. Yeah. That's do good. It by, do it by email. If, if things are, too busy just get something started Mm -hmm. and start praying for them and you know carry them in your heart in prayer i think things like that though they're intangible they they can really help in keeping the fires burning yeah yeah i just realized we could do a whole other conversation about the pastor and his marriage during this time when uh, he has seen you know for practical purposes the church abandon him i mean it's not really what's happened, but it feels that way. And that's something I'm trying to do with my ministry is to, is to tap that more. Uh, and, and I think it's going to be post COVID that we're going to find the fallout of that. So I'm, I'm trying to think with my ministry, how we can be proactive and in, in making ourselves available. But again, yeah. that's a, that's another conversation. That's um, one last uh, piece to discuss here. Um, uh, did you, did you have something? I mean, I'd love for you to just on saying, that. I'm really glad yeah. to hear you thinking yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh, so you, you had a beautiful section. It's actually the section or chapter 22, and this will be for marriages who have been, uh, you know, longer in, in the, in the journey here, uh, a contentment in, in marriage, uh, as you grow older, uh, reflect a little bit about that. Cause I, I found that, you know, I, there's a lot of discontentment as, as, you know, a couple have been, you know, together for, you know, three, four decades, kids are gone. Uh, there might be a, a you know a loss of value and purpose. Uh, yeah. How do you, how do you keep contentment in your marriage? Well, I think the uh, one of the benefits of, of of the gospel is the gospel makes contentment a, a fruit because part of the mm. the gospel has the cross and gratitude for what God has done. Um, because because Mitch, I mean you you, you know this, but. It, discontentment happens when our dreams are frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Our dreams about what marriage is going to be like at this age or in this stage, you know, we aspire Mm -hmm. to a certain way of a certain dream, a certain vision, and it doesn't happen. God doesn't deliver it. Mm. And so we stew in self pity and wonder why God is so sloppy in the way he's running our marriage. Uh, So, you know, to want to want a healthy spouse or or a great season you know is not a bad thing it can be a good thing but but the real issue is how we live and feel and relate to god when we don't get what we want when we want it yeah uh particularly in marriage and so um again to use watson's words um watson has this quote where he says if you have not what you desire, you have more than you deserve. Mm. And, and, and one of the things that the gospel does is the gospel comes into our life and, uh, 
and and basically announces, you know, cheer up, things are far worse. Jack Miller says, cheer up, things are far more worse than you think, and the gospel, <laughs> and God loves you so much more than you'll ever yeah, yeah. be aware. And uh, and it it reminds us that yeah we're not going to get everything we desire in this life, mm-hmm. but but because of the because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of the finished work and because He was a substitute for our sins and because He rose from the dead we have so much more than we deserve, and and that's not just a theological reality but the more we focus on that the more we wrap our brains around that the more we're able to purchase that that's, that's I love it it's yeah. true yeah the more it begins to shape how we think about the present and the more we it, it cultivate cultivates gratitude for what god has really done for us yeah and god is doing for us right now in our marriage yeah, yeah. we don't get what we desire but neither do we get what we deserve which That's is right. what the gospel is all about and this comes back to this conversation earlier about interacting about these things with each other as a couple you know, yeah, uh, I, you know, my temptation is to with Kim is we we often interact over problems. Yeah, and you know things that are wrong, and and you know we're working the problems, but but the best marriages will be often interacting over the things that are right. Yeah, the areas where God is at work, the things where where their graces is is changing them, and and they're giving a spotlight to those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, don't don't get the impression I'm like this a lot, but the other day, in fact, I'm I'm not at all. But the other day, I just was in the living room and I said to my wife, "I I just love the gospel. I just love it." <laughs> she looked at me and kept doing what she was doing. Uh, but those are those are statements I think we need to hear ourselves and our spouses need to need to hear. Maybe it's because I just read your devotional that uh, I said that. <laughs> It's a great statement. Uh, Dave, in, in closing here, you're, we're talking maybe to a couple who's lost their passion and purpose in marriage. Uh, so maybe as a closing thought, speak to them as it relates to this devotional and um, uh, what, what's on your heart that you would speak some hope and encouragement to them. And then any other final thoughts you might have? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm in a prayer cohort right now led by a man who's training leaders on what he calls scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer. And uh, as part of that, I'm just going through the Psalms, and I'm just praying through uh, scripture, praying through the Psalms. And I'm I, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but finding a vocabulary for my heart and my desires uh, to that, that pray them back to God Mm. And, um, and, and I find myself moving away right now from constantly making requests. I believe we're supposed to make our requests known to God, but constantly just seeing God as the dispenser of the things that I want and just loving him and adoring him and, and, uh, and thanking him. Uh, and this is not an easy season for us. This is a, one of the more difficult seasons for us, for Kim and I, like in our life. Mm. Uh, but I'm trying to insert in that, uh, you know, uh, not simply a Godward orientation, but a gratitude orientation based upon uh, what I see him and who I see him to be in Scripture. And so I, I th- when I think about restoring passion and purpose into marriage, I, I think about it. I think about those things as coming from God. Mm. You know, the, the human heart is a mystery. Yeah. Uh, and motivation is complex. But if we're going to inspire passion and purpose, we have to go to the creator of, of passion 
and purpose, the creator of desires and ask him. And so when you, if you ask about like, what's on my heart, what are the burdens that I have? I mean, I'm kind of living out of this place right now. And it goes to the issue of prayer. It goes to the issue of, 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 of gratitude because I feel like that's where I need to be right now. And I know that's helping my marriage right now as well. Um, and then in the category of final, final thoughts or anything like that, I, I think that uh, I, I think I mentioned this to you earlier, but if any of your listeners um, have a desire for free videos or additional articles or blogs or stuff on uh, free stuff on marriage or just more information on the three books that I've published mm-hmm. this year on marriage, they can go to my website at revdaveharvey.com and it's all, it's all posted there. We will definitely put that online and uh, on the website. And I, I have listened to a number of your, I think I might've gone to YouTube and uh, some of your talks about uh, uh, when sinners say I do. And I think that was my first introduction to you and then, and then reading the book afterwards. Wow. Well, this has been uh, uh, heavy, good, encouraging, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time, Dave, to interact around these things. You did a, a wonderful job, and I, I think we've just whet our appetites here, and we hope people will uh, follow follow on and and uh, you know listen to this podcast, but also get the devotional and and uh, see some new rhythms in their lives, new perspectives. So, thank you for contributing to that. Thanks so much for inviting me, Mitch. It's it's great to meet you. Likewise. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And so until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, 